Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for loving us so much, for pursuing us with everything you have, for being willing to lay it all on the line, to be willing to not hold back, but pursue our hearts because you desperately wanted relationship with us. Lord, I pray for our church family, even this morning, as we stop, we look at your word and your desire for our hearts. Do what you would like to do. In your name we pray this morning. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. It is good to be here. Started this year out looking at vision. Bible says, without a vision, people perish. In other words, without vision, you will spend your life detoured, distracted, and wandering. And that's why God was so intentional, so intentional about making sure that we had, number one, we had his word to give us all the information that, that we need. And when Jesus left, he said to his followers, it's good for you that I'm leaving because I'm going to send to you my Holy Spirit. In other words, the very nature, the very thought process that I go through, the very strength that is inside of me, I'm going to place it inside of you. So it won't be just you. It'll be you with me empowering you to do the things that you need to do, the things that I want for you, the blessings that I want to pour into your life. And in these three weeks after Vision Sunday, I I wanted to stop with our church because here's what happens over thousands of years, over and over again, this has happened. The church finds itself in a place where it has drifted in one way, shape, or another to be in some place that God never designed it to be in. And last week, we talked about spiritual indifference. We're calling this series This ain't it. It's like Jesus would step back into these times that the church was not what he wanted it to be, and Jesus would step into those times and say, you know, I I know what I wanted for my body, and, and this ain't it. And so for three weeks here, we're looking at three specific areas. Why? Because they're a problem in our church? No, no, no. It's not that they're a problem. The deal is I want to make sure that we as a church family, number one, and number two, in our own lives, we never, at least in these three areas, we never actually drift to the place that we are in them that we stay in the place, and and that we're intentional about being where God has designed for us to be. What if, because we're talking today about empty worship, about hollow worship, and Jesus described this. As a matter of fact, he did it in a a whole number of stories in the New Testament, in the four Gospels, but there's one that I want to look at real quickly. And and, and so, so what if our Worship. What if the songs that we sing, the, even the sermon that we preach, or the acts that we do in the dream team as we, as we serve one another, what if they were empty gifts? What if, what if there was, they were just a show? They, they were empty gifts to God. In, in other words, what if we were wrapped up on the outside with, with a spiritual message and a spiritual image, but, but we really... Our heart was not in it. 
Or maybe on the inside, our hearts were not right. See, that's what Jesus was talking about. And that's what he would say if he would step into empty worship. He would say, this ain't it. This ain't what I had in mind. And I know you English teachers are struggling a little bit with, with the way that I'm phrasing this series. You'll live. You survive your students, you'll survive me. Je Jesus looked at this worship and he says, you're worshiping in vain. As a pastor, I clearly take very seriously the position as a pastor that the Lord has me in here in our church. But while I take that seriously and I understand the weight that comes with it, I want to make sure that we understand so clearly that what we don't have here is the professional religious people up on the stage and everybody else down on the floor. And some of us grew up, and that was our church culture. And Jesus is talking to that in this story that I want to look at. Because, because as a follower of Christ, I, I, am, I am right there with everyone else. I, you know, I share with you guys my struggles just like your struggles. My, my pathway just like your pathway. And on Sundays, we get this opportunity to get together, open up God's word, look at, look at things that he wants to teach us. And we follow Christ and we learn and we grow and we are in this process together. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus just digs right in on this subject. As a matter of fact, it says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, some Pharisees and teachers of the law, in other words, the professional religious people, Teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, you and I know that mama told us, before you eat, you need to go wash your hands, right? And we're reading this passage of Scripture, and we're thinking, duh. I mean, why are we even talking about this? Did, did they... Did the religious professionals actually catch the disciples? They were fishermen. Can you imagine coming in from fishing and then eating? Can you just imagine this? That's not what's going on here. This is not hygiene we're talking about. This is not being sanitary. It's not physical. It's not what this was. What this was, these religious leaders were obsessed with ceremonial cleanliness. It's a whole different arena. See, when you're a devout Jew, you, you have two ways of looking at things. Devout Jews believed that things were either clean or unclean. Certain animals, according to the Old Testament, were clean and some were unclean. When you prepared your food, there were certain ways that it had to be done for it to be clean. Certain things that you could touch or not touch. As a matter of fact, if you had illnesses or if there was any kind of a bodily discharge that you had, then you were considered unclean. If you had a skin disease, you were considered unclean. Leopards were considered unclean. If you touched a pig, you were 
unclean. If you touched a dead body, you were unclean. And, and, and that was considered to be transferable. It was considered to be contagious. And, and you had to go through this process, this almost elaborate ceremony to be cleansed. You couldn't go to the synagogue and even worship if you were unclean. And these religious leaders, Jesus was referring to this. As a matter of fact, this ceremony involved placing your hands a certain way and, and a certain amount of water being poured over your hands. And, and actually, once the water was poured over your hands, the water itself became unclean. And so where that water went mattered. This was a ritual that they did. And, and, and it's not just before a meal. As they ate through, through a meal, they would have to do this even between courses. It was so involved. And the Pharisees come to Jesus and says, your boys don't do that. And then Jesus, like he so often does with the professional religious people, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the Sadducees, Jesus comes to them, and look what he says in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right. See, Jesus is talking to them in language they understand. See, they know the Old Testament. They know what Isaiah had to say. They know that Isaiah wrote these words, but they're thinking, well, those words are not about us. They're about other people, and Jesus looks them square in the eye, repeats Isaiah's words to them, and says, no, it's you. He said Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And here's, here's, here's where he, Jesus quotes Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. In other words, that ain't it. You, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, you don't even treat people with respect. You, you, you're not even showing love to these people. Your heart is not even connected with God. You're so focused on external things that your internals are all wrong. And it's empty worship. Jesus is saying, it doesn't even, it doesn't touch my heart. It's not real. This ain't it. As a church, looking at this area, this is one of the areas, this is one of the areas that I see for our church that there, there's actually potential for, for our church family to grow to another level in this area of worship. This is one of those subjects where I think there's room for us as a church family to, to perhaps move to another level, to, to move closer to Christ as we follow him. When we talk about worship, most of us right off the bat think in terms of music. We, we, we think right away about Maybe even not just music, but a style. For each of us, it's individual. A style of music. And we think, well, that's worship. 
And our age determines some of that. And, and the environment that we come out of determines some of that. And, and environments that we have been exposed to determines some of that. We, we, some of us think worship should be reverent. And some of us think worship should be excited. Which one is right? Some of us grew up in a small church. Some of us grew up in a large church. Some of us came from a very liturgical background where church was unbelievably traditional. Or in a country church. I've been to church in South America and Central America. I've been to church in Europe. Oh, there are so many different flavors overseas. And then there's real traditional church or charismatic church. And different races, black, the black church in America has rich, deep roots, and its flavor is different than others. And situations, and grew up in a church where there, was, where there were pews. I spent years in a church where we had choir robes. Now you have to have skinny jeans, holes in your pants, and a hat to lead worship. I said that out loud, didn't I? <laughs> the church I grew up in, we, 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 had, we, we thought we were contemporary. Because in, in our little town, there was the Catholic church, and then there was the Lutheran church, and then there was the synagogue, and then there was our church. And our church didn't just have an organ, it also had a piano. And so our tradition developed, and, and we had pews, and then in our pews, on the, on the back of each pew, there was this wooden rack, and in that wooden rack was what we called a hymnal. Some of you would have to Google that. It's a book where you open it up, and, and there are songs in there with numbers written by, by, by great songwriters over the years, and, 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 for some, and we, we would always sing about four songs. And some of the songs had three verses, but some of the songs had four or even five verses. And if they had four verses, we always sang verse one, two, and four. We never sang verse three. I, I have no idea why. But then there were some Sundays where we sang all four verses and every, everybody felt like that song was a little too long. And we, we have, and then, I, listen, I traveled, for, I traveled for eight years with a band, and so I was exposed to so many different churches and so many different styles, and we came to one church where the worship started, and, and out of some side doors came, came some people, and then they were waving banners and stuff, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? And the culture, and then it was normal to them, but, but the culture for me was so different. Waving flags, and that was a part of their worship. I hate it when church gets weird. I just do. It's it just, it's just me. It's not, you know. And, I'm, and, and churches are all so different. We we had a, a young lady here for a, a long time ago, probably about 12, 13 years ago, who Ronnie, you do a great job in percussion, but this lady did not have your gift. And she brought a tambourine to church. You, you got it, brother. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? She got it half right. She just made noise. 
There was nothing joyful about this. This is this is true story. True story. I'm confessing it this morning. I took the she she used to leave it on her chair. I took it and I hid it. Now it's okay because I wasn't the senior pastor then, okay? I I hid the tambourine. And she was kind of upset. And so she came back during the week and looked all and she found the tambourine. So the next Sunday. I got rid of the tambourine during the week. Confession Sunday. Gone. I, I solved the problem. Now, I probably should have done it differently in hindsight, but I just don't like it when church gets weird. But you know what? So many of us grew up in a church culture that's so different than we're, we're experiencing here. And, and our church culture isn't perfect. You should have been in the first service. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching and the fog, or haze, they're not fog, by the way, now it's haze. It's a new thing. So, so, so this stuff starts pouring out of here. And, and two lights went out in the middle section right there. And, and so the guys came in and fixed them, and now one of them's out again. So there's this dark area there. And, and this, so it's, it's almost like this dark cloud is happening over the first service. And I'm wondering, is this a spiritual thing? Is God saying something here? It, 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 I just had to push. So church can be so different for so many people. And we think of music in, in a certain way. And we should only have 15 minutes, or maybe it should go on for two hours. Or, or which is right, traditional or, or charismatic and, and, and more excitable worship? And what is it that God prefers? Out of those two examples, traditional and, and charismatic, which would be the one that God would prefer more? You see, the answer is they're both right. And the answer is also... Neither one of them is right unless it comes from the heart. That's worship. And, and we, think of, we think of it as just music being our worship, and, and the reality is the life that we live is, is the life that is worshiping. We are worshiping God with the life that we live. The very life that we have is God's gift to us. And what we do with it is our gift back to him, our worship back to him. It's not just what we sing on Sunday. See, Christianity's not a hobby. It's, it's, it's not a label that we wear. It's, it's, not a kind of, it's not just another interest that we have. That's not what it is. When you and I stop and think about what God has done for us, when we stop and think about that, when we realize that, that he was obedient to his father and he left heaven and came to earth, to this now broken earth, not the original one he designed, but to this broken earth and laid his life down and was beaten and tortured. He let them nail him to a cross, and he died on that cross to pay for our sins. 
then he rose on the third day. And he, and he took the keys of death and hell. And he, and he went and he had a battle with Satan. And, and, and he, he just, he destroyed hell, death, and the grave for all eternity. And when he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the Bible says that, that he ascended there and he now is sitting on the right hand of his father. And the Bible said that he is ever interceding for his children. That's you and me. God, Jesus himself is constantly talking to his father about us. Interceding for us. He bled and died so we could be forgiven. That's what Jesus did. What did God do for us? That's what, not only did he create us, he purchased us back. And he's seated at the right. So, so, so that's when we understand that, when we stop and think about that, when we take that through our thought process and through our very spirit, our natural response, the only response that makes sense is that we worship him. What do I mean by worship? We just simply recognize him for who he is. Forget about what he's done. We, we, we have all of that. That's, a, that's all, that's all that, those are just extra chips to cash in. Sorry about the gambling reference. You know, we, we, we have this. But we worship him simply because of who he is. How do we express worship? Let's look at those real quickly. I wrote some of them down. These are biblical. Not some of them are my favorites, but they're biblical. And sometimes we bow in reverence. Psalm 95, 6 says, come let us bow down in worship. Let's kneel before the Lord our maker, the writer of Psalms said. Peter, when he recognized his sin, he fell to the ground, to his knees in repentance. The wise men, the wise men came when they recognized who Jesus was. And at this time, when the wise men came, Jesus was probably somewhere between two and a half and three years old. And what does it say? It said they bowed in reverence. So sometimes we bow in reverence. And then sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. It's not weird. It's not a weird thing. It's a Bible thing. Paul, Paul says, we lift holy hands and worship. In other words, when we stop and raise our hands to God, our hands in worship actually become holy in worshiping him. David says in Psalm 63, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hand. In our culture, when I think about lifting up our hands, there are two things that come right to my mind. One of them is surrender. Lord, I'm surrendering to what it is you want to do. 
surrender. When you're in a difficult place, what do you do? Surrender. And the other thing is, in a moment of victory, what do we do? We put our hand, when our team wins, we put our hands up. We won when we experienced victory. And this is God we're talking about. Some of us, as we sing our songs, you don't want to put your hands up. You know why I sit on the front row, by the way? I sit on the front row, front row because I get distracted by anything. I, if, if I were not on the front row, I'd be looking at the back of your head. I'd be looking at what you're wearing. I'd be wondering, why is she talking to him right now? What is going, you know, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I get distracted so easily. Now, we're all different. We don't have a big enough front row for everybody to be on the front row. So some of you have to control yourself more than I have the ability to do. But, but, but that's why I'm, I, I, because I just don't want any distractions. We lift our hands and worship. You know what? The Cardinals, when, they, when somebody scores a touchdown on, on our team, we go wild. We'll, we'll, we'll put our hands up. And they finished like three and what, 13? God has never missed. He's never made a mistake. He's never done anything wrong. There are times in our lives where we are totally convinced he's not doing anything. And in those times, he's doing something. Because he is God. And yet we're kind of a little leery about putting our hands up. And we have so much to celebrate for the gifts that he's given us, for, for our very lives that he's given us. We have so much to be thankful for, for our salvation. Some of us, you know, it, it's like, when it comes to worship, it's, we're, we're all different. Some of us are kind of like Winnie the Pooh. Some of us are like Eeyore. And, and some of us are like Tigger. And, and our worship leaders are probably up here thinking, I wish we had more Tiggers. I, w I wish the Tiggers in the audience would, would kind of change the Eeyores and help them along and change their temperament. We're, we're, ju we're, just, we're just expressing who we are, and that's not a bad thing. But could I encourage our church family, when it comes to music and worship, let's begin to lean in a little bit more. Guys, this is easy. This is easy. And maybe, maybe you don't sing along when the, when the, when the team is singing. Maybe, that, maybe you just don't sing. Start singing. Sing all the songs. If you, if you, on weekend services, when you get here with your church family, if you begin to sing, the, you don't have to sing loud. As a matter of fact, you might not want to sing loud because somebody might poke you or like your wife and say, hey, you're not that good, so just. But begin to sing the songs. A sacrifice of praise. Even if you're not that good, it, to his ears, he says, a joyful noise. Let's make a joyful noise. And then the 
the third one is sometimes we dance in celebration. For me, this is kind of where it could get weird. I don't know the application. The Bible says David danced before the Lord, so it's biblical. As a matter of fact, Psalm 149.3, he says, let's praise his name with dancing. When your team scores a touchdown, you're not afraid to dance. You're not afraid to step out into the aisle of the stadium and and start dancing. And four, sometimes we worship with a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. Do Do you know why that's such a big deal? Because some of us in this room, listen, some of us in this room have been forgiven. Have been forgiven. God's grace has in your life and in my life washed away some really horrible things in our lives. And his grace has just washed it away. A sacrifice of praise. The writer of Hebrews says this, This is in the Message Bible. I love this. It says, so let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is. Let's take our place, pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. In our our time together, he says, in our service, let's celebrate. Let's Let's be prayerful. Let's be worshipful. Let's be excited about this. And then number five is daily we lay down our lives as an act of worship. See, it's, it's it's not always about the mountaintop experience. There are mountaintop experiences but it's more how he carries us through our day-by-day lives in the difficult times in our lives, in the times in our lives where we think there is no way that I'm going to get through this. And yet, this is a whole other arena that God is a part of us. As as followers of Christ, his Holy Spirit alive in us, he, he takes us along with him, and he carries us more than we realize. And I started, I started out with ending up our, our Vision Sunday with, with a passage of Scripture that Paul gives to the Romans. And looking at it through the Message Bible, it's almost like Paul, Paul talks to the church. He turns to, the, he turns to followers of Christ. He turns, turns to our, our spiritual family down through all of the years, including us sitting here this morning. And Paul turns to us in Romans 12, says, so here's what I want you to do. He gives us our marching orders. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. So don't try and do this alone, Paul says. Jesus said, I'm placing my Holy Spirit inside of you. I'm going to be with you through life's process. No matter what you're going through, I'll be with you. He says, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work, and you're walking around life. And place it before God 
as an offering. When we include him in our lives, when we make him first in our lives, we are giving him a sacrifice of praise. Our life becomes a living sacrifice. That's our vision. Without that, we'll perish. Where there is no vision, the people will perish. He goes on to say, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never, you've never even accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen, that, that is not a difficult thing to do. Jesus has done everything so, so, so that that does not become difficult. What do I mean by accepting him as our Savior, as my Savior? It means you simply believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. But our Bible tells us he's the son of God, came down to earth in the form of a baby, and we've talked about Christmas and this, this Christ child for years, who came to the place where he willingly laid his life down, they nailed him on a cross, and then he rose from the dead. The, the, the fact that he rose from the dead changed everything for everyone forever. It proved that he is who he said he is. By simply believing that, the Bible says you become a child of God. You're already his creation, but you have to make a choice to become a part of his family. And choosing to believe him makes you a part of his family. Some of you this morning have never done that. You can do that by simply believing this morning. Some of us this morning, we, you, maybe you've, you've drifted away. You're not following as close as you know you, you ought to be or that you have in the past, and you want to move closer. Great opportunity as we are launching into this new year to say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow Christ more closely. I'm going to be here on weekends more, more than I have in the past. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get into a life group. And I'm going to serve on the dream team once a month here, twice a month, however many times you want. Because in doing those things, you, you in your spiritual walk with Christ will grow closer together. You will become so much more in this coming year like Christ than you would have been. You will be closer to your spiritual family than you would have been had you not made that decision. And that, my friends, is worship. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be worshipped. First Chronicles 16, look what it says here. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. 
It doesn't say, tell all the nations that God is here, it's okay. No, it says, tell all the nations the Lord reigns. He goes on, let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. In other words, he's got a better than 3 and 13 season. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. You know what that means? He has always been, and he will always be. And he is God, and nobody else is. Praise the Lord God of Israel who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Stand with me this morning. We're going to worship in a song. And look what it says. In the, he says, all the people shout amen and praise the Lord. Let's repeat that one again together. All the people shout amen and let's worship him together. Do you know why? Because he deserves it. Because of who he is.